Welcome into the Joshua Perry Show, starring former Ohio State linebacker, captain, national champion, and NFL player Joshua Perry. I am Dave Biddle. Joshua, welcome in, and how was your weekend? You know what? Weekend was pretty good. Didn't have too much on the plate. Uh, was hoping some of that weather from yesterday would stick around, but of course, we can't have it, but a great Monday nonetheless. That's right. That's right. It's always great to talk to you and uh, to do this show with you. It's going to be a fun show. I want to talk about, first of all, I mean, it's still, I mean, spring ball, it's not even that early in spring ball anymore. It's already more than one third of the way over. Um, players on the rise. That's something we're, you know, fans all want to know about. Uh, let's start uh, on your side of the ball. Let's start on the, the defensive side of the ball. Who are some players that are really on the rise for the Silver Bullets this spring? Yeah, it's been interesting because there's been so much change that's happening over there on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so first thing you got to consider is the new look of the defense, and I think that makes a difference in kind of how the personnel fits. Um, but with talking to, to some of the defensive staff, I think a lot of the buzz is really coming out of that linebacker room. Um, I think Tough Borland looks like a completely different player, and if you ask the coaches, they'll tell you the same thing. Um, he told me personally he feels fresh and renewed, so it's awesome to hear. And the same thing with the guy, is, as Coach Madison calls him, Peter Warner. Um, Peter's a guy who is much improved from what we saw on the field last year. And I think the scheme is a lot more simple. It allows him to play fast. Um, he's looking comfortable. And so I think that's fantastic there. Uh, but Taraji Mitchell is kind of the guy there. He's going to be the one I think that's going to make the biggest push as a guy who didn't play on defense last year, who has a real opportunity to be a, uh, a kind of a head turner and a game changer in terms of what he does. He's fast. He's strong. He's smart. Um, he goes hard every single play. He does what the coaches want. You know, there's still a lot of technique stuff that he has to get better at, and that's what you see with the guy who hasn't had that on-field experience. But um, he's kind of the guy I'm looking out for as one that might shake up things in the linebacker room. Um, the other player that will be interesting to watch is Brendan White. And we all saw how he came out, busted onto the scene um, last season. But he's in a little bit of a unique role because now he's splitting time with the safeties and the linebackers. And he does a lot of individual work with the linebackers just trying to learn those skills, but he takes a ton of reps with the safeties. And so uh, figuring out how they're going to utilize a guy like him is going to be fantastic. Um, I think he has a fit and a role. It's just how they want to use him. Um, another guy who, um, you know, people are probably wondering about is Zach Harrison, you know, uh, a high recruit, one of the guys that, you know, people are really counting on to be a contributor. And for me, I think that he uh, he has a role on this defense if they decide they want to get pass rushers on the field. But he's a developmental guy for sure. When you look at him, he's tall as hell. He's lanky. He's a fantastic athlete. He can run. Uh, but his pass rush needs some work because that, that same speed rush he was able to use and kind of overpowering guys is a little different now. And he's got to grow into his body. So I think that he's a situational player as of right now. But he's got uh, some really good skill and some great ability that needs to be developed. And I think playing under Larry Johnson is going to do just that for him. Uh, so I'm really excited about the things that come on defense. And look at the offensive side of the ball. I mean, there, there's guys that are running with the ones that maybe will, maybe won't be when, when they're actually, uh, when the chips are actually down. We all know in spring ball, sometimes veterans, get, they throw them a bone, let them run with the ones, but they're not really planning on, on starting that young man. Uh, but just uh, as you sift through it, everything you're seeing so far on the offensive side of the ball, who were some Buckeyes on the rise this spring? Yeah, I mean, the guy everybody probably wants to talk about is Justin Fields, and I think he's done a fine job so far. Um, you know, the the thing that Buckeye fans are going to have to adapt is that he's not Dwayne Haskins in terms of his passing abilities yet. 
So they're, you know, it's going to be different. You're not going to see them trying to push the ball down the field, maybe the same exact way that they did before. Um, you might not be seeing the same route tree because he can't make all of those throws quite yet. But you're going to see a guy who can throw the ball pretty well. You're going to see a guy who's very confident in the pocket. And somebody who can make plays with using his feet. Um, those offensive sets where he's going under center are fantastic because you get a guy like J.K. Dobbins who can, is a really good one-cut back. And I think that plays really well. And so Justin Fields has developed. I think people are going to be excited to see what he looks like. Uh, but for me, I think that this offense, uh, two guys specifically, Ben Victor was fantastic to watch in the red zone period that I got to see last week. And he makes catches that other guys absolutely cannot make. And he's got that frame and that body type where he's a tall, lanky guy. The catch radius is there. And I think that he did a fantastic job with that. And the other guy in that wide receiver room, Chris Olave, doesn't drop the damn ball. I mean, he does not drop the damn thing. And so it's really good to see him. His route tree has developed really well from where he was towards the end of the season. And so he's taking some strides there. Question marks. Um, O-line, kind of everybody's little question mark there. You've got some older players. we got to see how they look. I think Brandon Bowen's done a fine job in recovering from his injury, and he's going to be a, a leader that, that guys need to rally around. Um, so it'll be, again, interesting to see this offense because um, as solid as the offense was last year, I know there were some questions. I think people might still be a little bit iffy going in, but as they settle in, they learn kind of where they fit in as personnel and, and kind of conceptually this offense is going to be very potent and i'm sure everybody listening to the show has heard this by now but let's like delve in a little deeper maybe give some background here blue smith quit the team last week uh, we got word of it and uh, put a story up on friday ryan day i uh, talked a little bit about it on saturday i mean to me i mean just to not giving too much away i mean the young man Kind of knew he wasn't going to play. Had a little bit of a disagreement with disagreement with a support staff member, a grad assistant. Uh, kind of snowballed from there, and had his mom come and, and come pick him up. And the dad didn't even know about it at the time. Um, and so there's been, you know, even within the family, there's been like some disagreements about this. And Ryan Day initially was not happy about it, but uh, Blue Smith is a great young man. Um, and you know, my question for you, I mean, just how often? Give some background here. How often? This type of thing happens, almost happens, where maybe a guy thinks about quitting but doesn't or does quit and then apologizes or in Blue's case just says, I'm done with it, I'm leaving. Just how often does this happen? You know, it happens uh, a decent amount. It's more so a guy wants to quit and he might stop coming to workouts for a day or two and then you're able to get him back. Um, you know, we I don't think I had a situation when I was in school where a guy just flat out left and then had to apologize to come back. I think it might've been one such situation. More often you see a guy who's like, you know what, I'm done. And it, it's generally a disagreement that happens. It's kind of the, the straw that breaks the camel's back where a guy wasn't happy. He wasn't playing whatever the case was. And he says, you know what, screw it. I'm done. Um, you know, might miss a workout. Coach is trying to call him, doesn't answer next day. might be the same thing, but generally you're able to get a guy back. Um, you know, they have to ingratiate themselves again. So to usually be making up whatever workouts they missed and, uh, you know, coaches are going to be on them. Uh, but that's, that's the thing you get in with college athletics is you bring guys in here, you recruit them. And there are some, I don't want to say promises, but there are some things that you say in recruiting that, you know, whether it's you bring in a guy who maybe wasn't the caliber of player that you wanted, or you bring a guy who's a great player into a room that's crowded where um, they don't get the playing time that they think or they're not developing at the pace that you, you think that they should develop. 
Um, and, you know, it becomes tough. And you're caring for young men. And so part of your job as a coach is to figure out what you need to do to keep a guy in-house, what you need to do to keep a guy in school, enrolled in the program, progressing as a player. And so, um, you know, it's, it's kind of the sociology behind the business. And people don't necessarily like to think about, about it like that, but here you are. And, uh, you know, it's a situation where hopefully uh, they can get it figured out. You care for a player and you want to see a, a kid like Blue um, have a college experience that he would enjoy. And so, uh, you know, tough situation per usual happens more than you would expect where a player's extremely disgruntled, wants to leave the program. But generally, you find a way to work it out. Here's the irony from what I've been told. Um, he's roommates with Chris Olave, or at least was last year. I think they're still roommates. And Chris Olave early last year was homesick, which you can yeah. imagine. You know, he's in San Diego. All of a sudden, he's in Columbus. We love Columbus, but San Diego. Um, and guess who talked him out? You might, you probably know this. Guess who talked him out of leaving? It was none other than Blue Smith. Sure. So now Blue Smith basically saved Chris Olave. You know, maybe it would have worked out anyway, but and. and First, I want to push this forward a little bit more. Speaking of them being roommates, when you're sitting there and, you know, who, I don't know who your roommate was, but you played right away as a true freshman. I remember you had a tackle in the Michigan game that year, that 2012 game. Uh, sure. to keep the, the perfect season alive, or not alive, to, to clinch the perfect season. When you are uh, – you're playing a lot. And you, let's say you, you became a star as a true freshman, um, and which Chris Olave kind of did toward the end of the year. He became kind of a star, especially in the Michigan game and the Big Ten championship game. How tough is that on Blue Smith, a kid who's not playing? He's seeing, he's, he's happy for his roommate. He's happy for his friend. But it's also got to be tough to see, man, this guy's not older than me. He's my age. He's tearing it up, and I'm, like, buried on the depth chart. That's got to be tough. It's hard to watch. and I think it takes a certain type of uh, um, mindset and mentality, et cetera, to be a player who can sit there and watch somebody else have success in the same position and, you know, the, the same conditions – um, Cameron Williams was my roommate from the time I was a sophomore until we graduated. And he was a player who was mostly a special teams guy. And he understood his role and he played it really well. He understood the importance of the position that he played because he was a guy who commanded the punt team. And that was Irvin's baby. You know, punt team was his favorite special team to coach. It was the most important in his mind. And so Cam was able to compartmentalize, even though he wasn't playing very much at linebacker, that his role was truly important to the success of the team. Um, a lot of other guys see their roommate have some success and they're like, you know what, man, I could go somewhere else and I could do the exact same thing my roommate's doing. Um, we see that quite often. And so um, it's really hard. And I think it's hard, number one, as a young player in the program anyway. You're going to be homesick. You're probably going to hate your coach. School's going to be overwhelming at some point. And then as you start to get over that, to see other people playing where you might want things to happen a little bit quicker you're like you know what damn it i i could be somewhere else right now and i could do it and the, the reality of the situation is it's really hard to go somewhere transfer play right away and be successful and it probably pays off to to keep going in the long run but again when you're dealing with 18 19 20 year olds it's really hard to get them to understand that and so you know it's it's again a part of the the psychology and the sociology of being a coach is getting your guys mentally right so they can be prepared to go through that Got some questions from avid listeners of the show, Mr. Perry. Um, let's start with Superman MJ. I'm guessing that's not his real name. Superman yeah. MJ, he wants to know, Joshua, who was the player on your team at Ohio State that took you under their wing and helped you the most? 
Boy, that's a, a, a really strong question. Um, two linebackers who kind of made their way different ways. Um, Etienne Sabino was an older guy who was really helpful. He just gave me a lot of advice. We were similar body types. So he kind of understood the way I had to be successful. Um, uh, Stu Smith, who was a walk-on guy who I played next to on special teams, um, just kind of on that mental grind of a guy who, you know, he's a walk-on, so he's not getting his school paid for, and he's getting the shit kicked out of him in practice, but he's still able to mentally persevere, kind of help me get my mental game right. Curtis Grant was a guy who just, he always wanted to give to other players. And even through the ups and downs coming in as, like, the number two ranked player in his class, to not really playing meaningful snaps until his senior year, he was able to, to always be someone that I was able to lean on um, and, and so those three guys probably were guys who shaped my career in terms of leadership and taking me under their wing. Next question comes from Dave Bucknut. He says, Joshua, if you were Ohio State's sole defensive coordinator this year, what would your scheme be? What, what scheme would you run? And please be as detailed as possible because I'm an, X, <laughs> I'm an X's and O's junkie. Dave Bucknut says he's an X's and O's junkie. So there you go, Josh. The floor, Joshua, the floor is yours. Yeah, um, you know, that's a, a, a really good question. I would be kind of a multiple guy in terms of fronts. So I would run over and under fronts. I would line up uh, four down linemen as my base set um, with my change up being having the, walk, uh, the outside linebacker walk down to kind of a nine technique to play over the tight end. Or I kind of have them play um, – you know, an overhang on the uh, the open side of the defense. But just to change up looks there, going from a four-man to a five-man front, um, I would be a base three-deep team, kind of the way that Seattle and San Francisco, um, Jacksonville played in the past in, in Atlanta, that kind of defense where um, it's aggressive three-deep defense. You have your safety who's going to be a box guy a lot of times rolling down there. Um, there's spot drops so you can be aggressive in your pass coverage. You have vision on the quarterback so you can get interceptions. Um, you, you, you're just working to the top of your drop and you're able to break. That's where the big hits come where you separate the man from the ball or, or you know, more importantly, you separate the ball from the man. Um, um, the corners are going to be press guys. Uh, they're going to have to be able to move seamlessly from playing that press three deep to where they're bailing to playing press man because my changeup out of that defense is man-to-man. It looks almost exactly the same. The gap fits are almost exactly the same. Um, the only way to really uncover that is via motion. And truly, uh, what changes there is if you have a guy who travels on the motion, so your down safety moves from one side of the formation to the other. That's how you can tell. It uncovers your gap fits a little bit. It makes the linebackers move and they have to think. If you're rolling safeties, it becomes hard to tell whether you're still in that three deep or the man-to-man. Um, that's what I like about it. And then as a true changeup, I would run quarters. So we're hard matching. Um, it looks a little bit different in its shell where you have two high safeties, but um, you're able to get body on body. Sometimes you can't tell if, if, you're, uh, if your second high safety is playing man-to-man out of that quarters look on the slot receiver because a lot of times uh, that quarters does turn into a man-to-man when, when that uh, number two receiver gets deep down the field. Um, and then third down is where I'm really getting exotic. It's where I'm running my blitzes. Um, you know, my base first and second down blitzes are going to be what you see. Middle plug from the linebackers, a safety blitz, OLB coming off the edge, or maybe a corner blitz. But uh, my third down is where you're getting, you know, defensive linemen dropping out of the formation. You're bringing safeties from 10 yards deep, hitting it at the line of scrimmage on the snap. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 
I'm running my outside linebacker through the middle of the defense to run a cover two because I know we got guys who can rush and get there. Uh, that's the kind of defense I would like to play. Um, it's really light in the playbook in terms of first and second down where you can get guys aggressive and you can create negative yardage plays. And then where we get a little bit sophisticated is on that third down. But hopefully you got them in a situation where they've got to get eight to 10 yards anyway. So you got a little leeway and you can get aggressive and keep guys, uh, you know, keep them on their heels a little bit. Okay. That was so good. Now I, this begs the question. This is for me. This is not from the, I'm sure every listener is wondering this. Do you have aspirations to be a coach? Hell no. Nah. I love football. I love uh, analyzing ball. I love the X's and O's. I think the hard part about becoming a coach, and I would want to be on the collegiate level if I ever did, is the commitment that you would have to make. Um, you know, these guys put so much into it. They're working 12, 15-hour days sometimes. Um, you know, it takes away from your family. And granted, when you're at a university like Ohio State, you make a ton of money, but shit, you don't have time to spend it. Um, you know, the thing about making money is being able to spend it a little bit. So, um, you know, if, if I got into if I got into football, I would like to be more on the, the admin side or the player development side and not necessarily the coaching aspect. Maybe maybe, maybe you could just be an owner, you know, just own the team. Yeah. yeah I need to make a little bit of money off this real estate business. If I'm going to own a team. You're, hey, you're on the right track. So there you go. You're, you're closer than I am. A lot closer. Yeah. Mm-hmm.